not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And we welcome you this morning to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the evangelization of the lost and the revival of God's people. This broadcast is brought to you by Gospel Dynamite. I'm Alan Mashburn, your speaker, and the interim pastor of Asbury Baptist Church in Seagrove, North Carolina. At any given time, I invite you to log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and follow our ministry. Now we invite you to open your Bible as we teach from the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us this morning. We invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, as we look at Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This passage of Scripture joins others of the same passion like Isaiah 53, Psalm 23, Hebrews 11, Philippians 4, and John chapter 3 in being amongst the greatest of the Word of God that can easily be recalled for their messages or central themes. All of those passages that I've just mentioned, as long as others have long brought comfort to many people. Now in this passage, the Apostle Paul is still rehearsing the benefits that are ours as children of God. And these verses make plain the great provisions that obviously have come our way through the death of the Lord Jesus and by virtue of our placing our faith in Him for salvation. These verses tell us of the wonderful things we have in Christ. I want to draw your attention to verse 8 and the last phrase of that verse, and then we look at the last two words. For us. For us. Christ died for us. These two words could sum up the entire content of the message as we look at the thought of Christ died for the ungodly. Verses 6 through 10, we see man's hopeless condition. Man has a hopeless condition. And in these five verses, Paul tells us that man's condition can be summed up by four descriptive terms. Without strength, in verse 6. Ungodly, in verse 6. Sinner, in verse 8. And the word enemies, in verse 10, these four terms describe the condition of all men who are lost in sin. That's God's portrait of humanity apart from himself. We're going to take a moment and look at man's hopeless condition. In verse 6, we see that man is weak. The scripture says, without strength. That carries the idea of being completely powerless. It speaks of people who are utterly helpless with no means of escape. The idea 
is that the lost sinner stands before God with absolutely no ability to change what he is. We are completely powerless to escape sin, to escape death, to resist the devil, to please God in any way. And the whole essence of this statement is that man is unable to change his sinful nature by his own effort. He is totally without strength and weakened by his sins. Not only that, verse 6 also reveals that man is wicked. He's ungodly. This word refers to those who without reverence for or fear of God. It literally means to live your life as if God does not exist. Because we are helpless to change our sinful nature. We live our lives as we please without regard for God or for his law and his will. To be ungodly does not mean that one must wallow in sin. The unsaved church member is just as godless as Adolf Hitler was. When a person refuses to bow before the Lord in salvation, he is essentially setting himself up as his own God. Therefore, he does as he pleases. He worships himself without any regard for the true God. Thus, he is godless. Now, verse 8 also tells us that man is wayward. Man is wayward. We see that by the term sinners. While we were yet sinners. God calls us sinners. The word means to miss the mark. It carries the idea of an archer aiming at a bullseye to the best of his ability, shooting his arrow, and then missing the entire target. It pictures a man as he tries and fails his way through life. No matter how good the man tries to be, he can never be good enough. Though he may aim high, set his high standards up, still he's always falling short of God's standards. Man always misses the mark. This is why attempting to get to heaven by good works will never work. Man can never be good enough to get himself to God. No matter how close he comes, he will always fall short. To be almost right is to be forever wrong. Man always misses the mark. And verse 10 also reminds us that man is warlike. We see in verse 10 that God calls us enemies. For if when we were enemies, the word means adversary. Basically what the Bible is telling us is that when we are lost, we are in the devil's camp. We're opposed to God, we're the enemy of God, and no matter how much a man may talk of loving the Lord, if that man is unsaved, he is a complete liar. God says the lost are his enemies. I hope you can see that people apart from Jesus are in a hopeless situation. The fact is, there's no hope in man. All hope will only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a sinner, man is totally hopeless. He is helpless before the Lord. He needs something he can never produce from within himself. He needs help. And his help must come from the only source who can provide that, and that is God. But man is God's enemy. Thank God there's more to the story than just our wretched condition. Now, not only is man's hopeless condition very well spelled out in the scripture, 
But we see that Christ's boundless compassion is as well, verses 6 through 8. Paul tells us that there are a few people in life that men might die for. Who would those persons in your life be? Perhaps it would be your father or your mother, your husband or wife, son or daughter, or even a few close friends. If you really take the time to think it through, there's probably only a handful for whom you would give your life without a moment's hesitation. Now imagine you're eating a meal in a restaurant with your son when suddenly a gunman enters the place. He begins shooting all around you. What's your immediate response? Hide under the table? Try to get away? Attempt to overpower the gunman? Or protect your son? There was a man by the name of James Kidd of Wheaton, Illinois. The answer for him was easy. He was visiting his son who was stationed at Fort Bragg. They went to a nearby Italian restaurant to eat. While they were eating, a gunman entered the building, began firing into the customers. When it was over, 11 people had died, including James Kidd. When the shooting started, he had used his own body to shield his son from the bullets, and he himself had died from a gunshot wound to the back. Later, his wife said he was a good man. He was a good father. He was a good husband. He died saving his son. What more can you say? Quote, unquote. Another true story involves two miners who were trapped in a cave-in. They were trapped into the mine and they had two oxygen masks. But one was damaged. Only one of these men would be able to get out alive. One of the miners, a single man, handed the good mask to the other miner and he said, Here, you take it. You've got a wife and children. I don't have anyone. I can go. You've got to stay. We've heard stories upon stories of soldiers who have given their lives for their comrades. Be it a grenade that was thrown into the midst of a patrol and one of the men will fall on that grenade to absorb the blast with his body. He will be blown to pieces but the rest of the men will live. Or whatever the case may be. All of these examples of rare courage and sacrifice, they do exist. However, they all have one common theme. They demonstrate the human capacity to give ourselves for the sake of those we love. Family, friends, fellow soldiers are one thing. But can you imagine giving your life for an enemy? Human love has its limits. But thankfully, God, the love of God, does not have limits. Verse 6 tells us that's exactly what Jesus did. Verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, when we were weak in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for His enemies. Imagine that. Notice how the love of God in verse 8 transcended Anything humanity is able to produce. He put his great love on display when Jesus Christ died for those who were yet sinners. You see, while we were still weak, wicked, wayward, and warlike, Jesus died for us. He did not die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He did not die for people who loved Him. But He died for the very people 
who had crucified him. He died for the ungodly. Now returning back to that restaurant near Fort Bragg, suppose that young soldier is a total stranger. What if James Kidd had protected a total stranger? What if instead of that grenade being thrown into the midst of a marine patrol, it had been thrown into the group of Vietnamese soldiers guarding an American prisoner? Suppose that American soldier who had been abused, who had been beaten, who was permanently scarred and disfigured by his captors, fell on that grenade and gave his life to save his enemies. You say, people don't do that. You're exactly right. Human nature recoils at the thought of doing good to any enemies. However, while man doesn't do that, God does. That's exactly what happened at Calvary. Jesus Christ died for the sins of his enemies. He threw himself on the grenade of God's wrath. And when it detonated, he died to deliver those who hated him. What love. What boundless compassion. What limitless grace. May we never look at this crazy, confused world and say, if God is a God of love, why does God allow bad things to happen? That is completely foolishness. If there's a doubt in your mind as to the love of God, I challenge you to take a look at the cross of Calvary. There you will see a holy and a sinless God, the Creator dying for the creature that hates Him, that would put Him to death. Watch as the life leaves his body. Watch as his blood runs down the cross. Listen as his blood drips in great pools on the ground. Hear him as he gasps for his last breath and gives his life a sacrifice for sin. Look at that broken and bleeding form hanging there lifeless on that cross and tell that God doesn't love you. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a greater demonstration of God's love than that of a broken and dead Savior on a bloody cross. That, my friend, was the compassion of Christ. His compassion was completely boundless. Now in verses 9 through 11, we see our matchless completion. In these verses, Paul tells us that we have become, through the selfless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, because He loved us when we were unlovable, we have received some blessings from Him that we need to know about. Notice the expression. In verse 9, much more then. We have been completed in Him. Verse 9, we see our position. Much more then, being now justified. We've covered this word thoroughly in other messages. 
Basically, the word means to declare a person not guilty. Even though we were sinners and deserved to go to hell, God is able through the blood of Jesus Christ to look at us and to declare us righteous. He says that we are pleasing in His sight. He says that we are accepted by God. God sees us as if we had never been stained by sin. He sees us like He sees His Son, perfect and fully right with Himself. That's our position. We are justified. But also notice in verse 9 that we shall be saved from wrath through Him. He gives us our new position. We are justified. He gives us our new protection. We are saved from wrath because we are in Jesus. We are protected from the wrath of God. Simply stated, no child of God need ever fear dying and going to hell. Jesus has already paid the price and he has quenched the wrath of God toward those who believe in him. No longer does the wrath of God abide on us, according to John 3.36. No longer are we the children of wrath. We are free from the penalty of sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is our protection. We are saved from wrath. In addition, in verse 10, he says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We were reconciled. He gives notice here of our peace with God. The word means to take enemies and make them into friends. No longer are we in opposition to God. We have been brought together through the blood of the Lord Jesus. God has called a truce and he's put away the battle flags. We're no longer fighting. We're at peace with God. In fact, our relationship is so close that he is ever with us according to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. We have direct unimpeded access to his very throne, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. We are at peace with God. Not only that, the Bible says that we're saved by his life. We have preservation. We have been preserved. These words tell us that Jesus is alive today. That has nothing to do with the life he lived here on the earth. It has everything to do with the life he lives in heaven today. Because he lives, you and I have absolute security as believers. Nothing can ever come between us and God because Jesus is standing up on our behalf. Now there's two great texts that I'm going to give you that bears out this truth. The first text is 1 John chapter 2. And verse 1, where the Bible reveals that Jesus Christ is our advocate. The Bible says, my little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What a blessing. 
when we're accused before God, the Lord Jesus takes our part before the bar of heaven. He stands up for us as our defense attorney and he pleads our case. He shows the Father his wounds and he tells the Father we are the children of God. The Father immediately responds, case dismissed. Not only is he our advocate, but he is our intercessor. He is our intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 states, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. As simply stated, he is praying for you. He's praying for me as we journey toward our heavenly homes. And I'm glad that he prays for me. But it thrills my soul that he prays for me. He, he intercesses on my behalf. Even while I'm preaching, he's talking to the Father on my behalf. He's our prayer partner. And even when I'm not on praying ground, when I'm not even in fellowship, Jesus always is in fellowship with God. Now verse 11 also states that he's our praise. The Bible says in verse 11, we also joy in God. That is because these things are true because we are saved and secure in our salvation. We are filled with praise to the king. My friend, if there's ever a reason to praise the Lord, God has given it to you through his word and he's given it to you right now today through the message of the word of God. Now, these may be difficult days for you as a believer. You may feel that there's no real reason to praise the Lord. However, if you're saved, you're born again, you have all the reason you need. And verse 11, we also have been given a privilege. The Bible says that he has given the atonement. We have received, the latter part of verse 11, received the atonement. Now, the phrase reminds us that we have been made one with God. Think of it. Old, lost, hell-bound sinners have been brought into a personal relationship with the God of heaven. It isn't just any relationship, but that of a father and a child. We have been brought nigh to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ours is a great privilege that should not be taken for granted. All through history... Man is wanting to be brought near to God. That's why Israel sacrificed millions of sheep, cows, and birds on their altars. That's why every year Muslims sacrifice millions of animals on Mecca. What the blood of those dead animals could never do for them, the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. And I look at these verses this morning, and I marvel that God would do all of this, and he would do it just for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for his enemies. Our blessings are far greater than the mind can ever comprehend. In light of these truths, where do you stand with God? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you close to him? My friend, he should fill your heart this morning. And if you are not born again, the wonderful thing is you can be born again right now. You can be born again right now. You can. Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Go through this passage. Pray to God. Ask God to save your heart. Ask Him to forgive your sin. My friend, Jesus Christ will save you. He will save you now. Will you come to Him? Come to Christ. 
Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.